This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The year is 2017. And this podcast is about the spark that's going to light the fire, that's going to set the internet on fire. It is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unspooled. Welcome to Unspooled, where we unspool the greatest films to see if they are classics. Or we just remember them that way. I am Amy Nicholson, a film critic who writes for the New York Times. That sonorous voice is my Jedi hero. Paul Shear, (laughs) say hello, Paul Shear. I am very excited to talk to you, Amy, about this movie. I love that we have stumbled inadvertently into a series about... Movies that were polarizing. And I can't think of a movie in better memory that has been more polarizing than The Last Jedi. I mean, never has there been such anticipation for this new set of trilogies. I felt it and I knew that things were going to happen and be great. I was a huge fan of Ryan Johnson. I was so excited to see what he would do. And I guess the question is, did he make it too much of a Ryan Johnson movie and not enough of a Star Wars movie? Or did he do it perfectly? Did he make more of a Star Wars movie than any Star Wars movie has been in a very long, 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 long time ago? I know I'm excited to talk to you about some of the very public issues that people have with this movie. There are basically four complaints that come up. We're going to tackle those within the episode, but also just talk about these larger themes and how this movie, I think, really cements its place in modern day society. Often, I think Star Wars is a story that is just fantasy. And I think this Star Wars movie actually reflects more of a a science fiction story where we can take it into our own life, like Star Trek. Yeah, I feel like this is... The rare blockbuster where I come out wanting to talk about all kinds of ideas. I just want to talk about ideas with you. I want to talk about so many ideas that are in this film. Do you want to break out our idea sabers? Well, as my friend the Porg used to say, The year 
is 2017, and baby, let's see a Star War. It has been five years since George Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Walt Disney, and it has been three and a half years since Lucasfilm announced that Ryan Johnson, the director of Brick, Brothers Bloom, Looper, was going to get 10 times his biggest budget to date to write and direct his own Star War, the second in a planned trilogy of films. When Ryan was hired in 2014, the first movie in that trilogy, The Force Awakens, the one directed by J.J. Abrams, it was still being filmed so he could read J.J.'s script, but he otherwise had a wide open universe to explore his own ideas. He wouldn't even know the fan reaction to Force Awakens and all these new characters that he was going to be handed, the cliffhanger ending even, where Luke Skywalker is revealed to be a hermit on a hidden island for over another year of working on his own movie. So, as Ryan mapped out the fates of Poe, a headstrong pilot played by Oscar Isaac, Finn, a formerly brainwashed ex-stormtrooper played by John Boyega, and Rey, a proto-Jedi orphan of unknown heritage played by Daisy Ridley, Ryan told himself that his compass, as he put it, was, quote, interior. How do we feel about the characters? What do we want to see them go through? What feels honest and real to us? You're dealing with a story that's about um, heroes and about a younger generation meeting their heroes and a generation that is now the older generation of heroes dealing with being role models for the younger generation and still being human beings with faults and foibles. And somebody who has the role of a legend, you know, but who feels fallible as a human being by the end of the movie, realizing the value that that legend has and realizing their place is to step up and be that for the younger generation. And I think what makes his film interesting is that The Last Jedi is an unusual look at heroism, right? The assumptions about heroes that movies have just trained us to make, uh, you know, because they're good guys, we can trust them. You know, they're always making the right decision, right? Or at least most of the time. I mean, this movie starts to question that in the first big scene where the resistance, the good guys, blow up a giant first order dreadnought. Poe is proud, but General Leia is upset because so many good guys died in the fight that she can't really call Poe's plan a success. And then Poe doesn't trust that Laura Dern's Admiral Holdo is capable of coming up with a good plan for escaping a slow motion chase. So he and Finn and a maintenance worker named Rose come up with their own plan and neither plan works the way they think and more good guys die. Holdo sacrifices herself, Poe gets tased, and Finn and Rose are nearly beheaded. Meanwhile, Ray's plan to find Luke Skywalker and ask him to come out of retirement to train her and also fight doesn't work, and neither does her plan to convince Adam Driver's Kylo Ren to leave the dark side and become a good guy. She can't even convince Kylo Ren to put on a shirt, and let me tell you, that is the scene that everyone is talking about. Shirtless Ren, get those pants hiked up. <laughs> and yet, even when nobody in this movie is able to execute their plan to perfection, the movie still ends with a shred of hope. There is more goodness in the universe than any of our characters even know about. I mean, in summation of all of this, The Last Jedi is a movie about trying and failing and why you would still try again. And I think that's very apropos for a sequel that tried to do a lot of things, some of which really failed to make people happy, some of which really pissed people off. I mean, this movie came out on December 15th, 2017, and immediately some of those people were very, very, very mad that after fighting to save the galaxy in the original trilogy, this Luke Skywalker seems content to peace out and hide. I mean, even Mark Hamill himself was hoping that Luke in this film would be a little bit more of a badass. A little bit more like, if you will, 
the number one song on the Billboard charts that weekend. Post Malone, 21 Savage, and Rockstar. I've been in the hills, fucking superstars, feeling like a pop star. Drinking any bad bitches, jumping in the pool, and I ain't got on no bra. Get her front of back, pulling on the tracks, and now she screaming out no more. They like Savage, why you got a 12 car garage and you only got six cars? Damn it, Amy, you always do it. You figure out a way to just jam it in there. And let me tell you, that one was a perfect, a perfect uh, combo. <laughs> well, you know what I couldn't even capture on audio is that if you watch the video for that, the video is like black and white and red and sword fights. And you would swear it's just Snoke's lair. <laughs> that would have been like back in the 80s when they had like a tie-in theme song that just used clips from the movies. But it wasn't actually yeah. a song played in the film. You could be Snoke. <laughs> Wait, maybe that was actually in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you where I was on December 14th, 2017. It was a Thursday night and I saw the first screening of The Last Jedi in a theater and I loved it. I walked out of that theater like, holy shit, Ryan Johnson has done it. I can't wait. I cannot wait to get online and start this conversation up. I pull out Twitter and I am flabbergasted by seeing the response to this film. I'm so happy uh, that I saw this movie without any hot takes. I feel the same way about Glass Onion because this movie got people so angry. And the debate about this movie is still at a, a fevered pitch. Like, Every now and then it will go away and I see it pop up back up in my timeline and people are going at it. I think some people have looked at it with different perspectives as time has shifted. But I wanted to know, as a, a fan of Ryan Johnson, and I don't know if you're a fan of Star Wars, and I don't know if you're a fan of Star Wars, singular or plural. <laughs> yeah, what was your expectation versus your reality after seeing the film? Well, I would say going into this movie... I was a fan of Star Wars, of a Star Wars. I liked the very first Star Wars. Okay. I a New had, Hope. Yes. I like A New Hope. I do not like Empire Strikes Back. Wow. I haven't seen Return of the Jedi since I was a little kid. I probably okay. should. Who knows? And I was really disappointed by The Force Awakens. I just thought The Force Awakens was the exact same movie in new clothes. Oh, I'm a person from like a poor little desert planet. Could I be special? I don't know. Oh, we all have to get together and oh, let's go blow up that big thing. And oh, here's a new little robot. And I was just like, you're giving us the same movie in a new skin. I felt really patronized by The Force Awakens. It just, it felt so lame. I mean, there was that stretch where it felt like all Disney wanted to do when they bought Lucasfilm was make new movies about new Death Stars or make prequels about blowing up the Death Star. So just, many Death Stars. So many Death Stars, and they give them new names, but they're still just Death Stars. This one is a planet. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's still it's still a Death Star. <laughs> exactly, and it felt like such a letdown to me because when you are making a Star War, you have not just a big canvas, you have the biggest canvas. You have the universe and anything you can dream up in it. If you want to have creatures that look like polka-dotted whales, but yet have blonde hair, you could just do that in this movie and you could call them, you know, 
a jargon thox, whatever you want. You can do that. And people will be like, oh, that's a jargon thox. Tell me the whole like etymology of a jargon thox. Oh, what do they do for food? Oh, yeah, I'll read a whole book on this. Like, that's what you can do when you have a Star Wars. You have complete power to be imaginative. And when you have that power handed to you and you tell the same story again, what are we even doing here? It felt like a letdown. So I was nervous going into The Last Jedi. I was expecting... Oh, fine. Who is Ray related to? Whatever. And? And I loved it. And I loved it. I loved it. I like now two Star Wars movies. I would say that I might even rank The Last Jedi above Star Wars, which is probably uh, uh, going to get me burned at the stake. Whatever. I'll say it. Because, you know, I'll say this. Star Wars, the first one, I think really set a template for filmmaking that we've all grown up in. You know, it kind of brought back this like classic heroic adventure, a person with a destiny. Can you achieve your dreams? And it was a template that I think we've lived in our whole life. And I think that Star Wars did that template really well. And, you know, kind of like how I was saying back when you were talking about Spielberg, that I can't imagine a world where we weren't all living inside Spielberg's brain. That also goes for George Lucas and Star Wars, where we're still living inside the after effects of this dream that he put on screen. But Last Jedi took that dream and expanded its margins and figured out ways to make it interesting again, where it was saying, hey, you know what? Saving the planet doesn't have to be your destiny. It can be your choice. It doesn't have to come from your bloodline. It can come from your force of will. And to just even take that Ray choice, that meant the world to me. Because We've had 9 million films where people are predestined because of some parent they had or some bloodline or some spell cast on them to do a thing. And then the movie just goes on watching them do the thing. And I'm always like, who cares? Show me a person who doesn't have to do the thing. And then they do it anyway. Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Because rewatching this, what I really saw in this movie is this belief that anyone can be a hero. Anyone can stand up. You don't need to be special. And it recontextualizes all the Star Wars films because we are so used to seeing cannon fodder in all these movies. There are hundreds of people getting killed to the left and right of our main characters. And their journeys are just as important. Their families are just as important. And I think this movie opens up our world to be like, yeah, what about this crew of people? Everyone here in the resistance is equally important. So we get these stories that maybe are a little bit darker or a little less traditionally heroic, but I think it shows off heroism in such an interesting way. And going back to that opening scene with Poe, yes, if that was in another Star Wars film, we would just focus on, we got the dreadnought, but to bring it back down to and we lost all these people, it really sets the theme for the entire film. And I know a lot of people hate this version of Luke, but I personally love this version of Luke because it kind of talks to the same thing that The Matrix does. At the end of Matrix 1, I think people were waiting for Matrix 2 to be like, here's Neo and he's a fucking badass. Watch him do karate all day. But Is that interesting? Is that a good character growth? Now, whether or not The Matrix handled that great, to be determined, I actually think Resurrections did it the best. But what I really loved about this movie was 
this is a Luke Skywalker who came off of a very heroic moment, became a hero, became a legend, and then realized it means nothing, right? Like he almost bought into his own heroism and he's doing the most, I think, interesting thing as far as a character arc. I love Luke's character arc in this movie. I I can get into that in a bigger way, but I think when most people think about this movie, they're so mad that the person that we view as a hero is not doing anything heroic. And the people that we don't care about are sacrificing their lives and being heroic. If that makes sense. No, it does. And that he's saying even what we have defined as heroism for our entire lifetime, the, the, the act of being a Jedi, that that's failure. Lesson two. Now that they're extinct, the Jedi are romanticized, deified. But if you strip away the myth and look at their deeds, the legacy of the Jedi is failure. Hypocrisy, hubris. That's not true. At the height of their powers, they allowed Darth Sidious to rise, create the Empire, and wipe them out. It was a Jedi Master who was responsible for the training and creation of Darth Vader. And a Jedi who saved him. Yes, the most hated man in the galaxy. But you saw there was conflict inside him. You believed that he wasn't gone, that he could be turned. And I became a legend. I love that because it also recontextualized how we think about Jedi. Yeah, they fucked up everything. They let their power get to their head. This has been kind of explored a lot more. And I think that there are amazing shows and movies that have come out of the Star Wars universe that are starting to peek into this area. I highly recommend Andor to you because there's so many of these themes in that as well. Like, what is the universe? Who are the heroes? Who are the bad people? I love the idea here that this is a functioning universe that is going on. People are getting rich off of the First Order, off of the Empire. People are ignoring it. Like, it's not just about the movies that we've seen. And I think anyone who wants Luke to be a hero and take that lightsaber and be like, let's go and kick ass, first of all, has no sense of what story structure is because how is that any bit interesting? I also would argue has no respect for the original trilogy because truly the character that everyone loves is Yoda. And we're essentially watching a reboot of Yoda in a more interesting way. And we're calling some truth to power. Like Jedis are flawed. We are all flawed. Just because we are a Jedi does not make us any more special. And they give him this backstory and this weight of the world on him that I think makes him wiser and more interesting. I'd rather learn from Luke Skywalker how to be a Jedi than the Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi who might be kind of feeling himself, right? Like this Luke understands what is good and what is bad and how power can corrupt. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. The idea that this Luke does not fit in this universe has never sat right with me because you're right. He's he's Yoda. He's living an isolated hermetic life, contemplating his work. He's also Obi-Wan Kenobi was kind of doing the same thing when he met yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's like hiding out. It's like you you become a hero and then you age. And then the pattern in Star Wars is you kind of hide out, question your life, wonder if you should mentor, wonder if it's a bad idea. I mean, Luke, in some ways, is doing what I think is a natural progression for him. He's a farm boy again. He's like milking and seeding and fishing and farming. He is who he's always been to me. Like the Luke that is in Empire Strikes Back, that guy is a guy who has a habit of like losing his temper, of panicking and like lashing out, of whining a lot. Luke is whiny. And that is one of the things I kind of like about Luke. I like that he's like, oh man, this is He's hard. a kid. Do I have to do this? And like, yeah, he grows up over the course of the original trilogy. But do we ever stop being whiny? I I still whine like crazy all the time. I'm a big whiner. And I'm like, you shouldn't whine so much. Yeah. And I still will. Because you know what? Sometimes the store is out of your favorite ice cream. And you know what? I'm not that mature. And I don't think I'll ever be that mature. Hey, look, I can whine about Google Docs, too, before we started recording this episode. <laughs> There's always going to be something to complain about. By the way, about this island that Luke is at, you know, the island of Skellig. It actually has a really great history in mythology that I think fits the Skywalker moment. You know, according to Celtic lore, uh, a fictional king of the world did hide out there. And then a real king, the king of Westminster, also maybe went and hide out there for real. And it is an island where like shipwrecks have happened, like supernatural shipwrecks have happened, where old monasteries were built there like thousands of years ago. They're not even sure how old these monasteries are, but a lot of the buildings that you see these nuns, kind of the nun creatures living in are models of the monasteries that were built. Those monasteries were attacked by Vikings. If you go to this island, which is a little hard to do, you'll see like this old monk's graveyard. And the most fittingly perfect thing of all about this island is that the whole reason we have porgs to begin with is because this island is covered in puffins. Like if you go to this island during certain seasons, it's just like a popcorn basket of puffins just all over this place. And they couldn't get the puffins out of the shot. So they're like, let's be zen about this. If we cannot remove all of the puffins, perhaps we can animate something new over the puffins. And thus, the porgs were built. And you already did a really great porg imitation sound at the beginning of this episode, so we don't need to even hear from a porg. But I thought maybe you'd want to hear from a puffin. Come summer on Skellig, Michael. The most striking avian visitors are the puffins. Thousands arrive out of the Atlantic Ocean in April and use the rock as their base for the spring and summer months. Here's what I'll say about Luke, and I don't think that this is ever truly discussed. People are mad that he's not the Jedi, that he's not running to save the day, which I think this movie does time and time again, and I, and I really do believe that Ryan Johnson is incredibly thematic in his writing. And what he wants to say in this movie is crystal clear from the first frame to the last. It is, there is no deviation from it. It's, it almost is comically put in at every step of the way, you know, disregard your past. Don't worry about that. Don't worship heroes. You know, everyone is a hero. All these themes are there, but what no one speaks about is 
Luke Skywalker tried to kill his sister's son, his best friend's son. Yeah, he gonna go away. Like, he's gonna wrestle with that. Yes, also, Kylo Ren was too powerful and then he went off, but he's not like beat down because his Jedi school went away. He's beat down because he did this thing. And on some level, Leia and Han have to know that. How can he look them in the eye? How can he say, trust me, when he did this? He lost control. And he talked about it. Like He, he had a moment and he pulled back. But even that moment for a Jedi so in tune, I that to me, if that's the only thing that happened, I get it. He made almost the biggest mistake you could possibly make. Kill, well, I mean, let's say, yeah, it's one, I would say in the top three of the mistakes you can make, uh, killing your best friend or sister's son. I just think that people don't look at that and the reality of that, because if we were to see him unfazed by that, or people don't want to see him be conflicted, like, oh, once you're a Jedi, you're all wise, you're all powerful. Well, guess what? Yoda made mistakes too. People made mistakes. Obi-Wan made mistakes. Obi-Wan made a grave mistake with Darth Vader. Like, this is the problem with power. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a little phrase I just made up. Uh, But this idea, like, what Jedis think that they can outsmart everything. And they constantly are playing themselves. Yeah, like, I would almost argue it's disrespectful to think that Luke is like, cool, well, like, 35 years ago, I did some really great stuff. So my, I'm over. My storyline is over. I accomplished it. I did my heroic thing. I got it all right. And now I am over as a person. I'm going to be calcified forever. My personality is going to be like Han imprisoned in the wall. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think we think of actions in movies as permanent because in a way, a lot of plotting treats them like that. Oh, you had this one realization and you cried one tear and that's it. Your marriage is going to be better forever and ever and ever. Amen. Right. But it's not like that. I mean, if anything, we should think of characters having big moments, treat them with the same gravitas as we treat like our New Year's resolution. Like, oh yeah, this year, totally going to go hiking five times a week. Absolutely going to do it. Really committed, really committed. And you might mean it at the time. And you might go running down the airport and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, please take me back, or whatever it is in the movie. But that's all these things are, New Year's resolution. So it's like, you could say that in Return of the Jedi, Luke made a New Year's resolution not to kill people out of anger anymore. Are you going to well, keep he, it forever? Maybe not. Maybe not, man. Well, it, it just means that your character has grown in the time that you have left them, right? This is not the next day. This is 30 years later. And I will just say that Star Wars is a world, like you said, it's incredibly expansive, but also a world that is so tactile. I played with the Millennium Falcon. I played with my Luke Skywalker figures. These were toys in my house. My adventures with these characters are part of me. My thoughts about what they could do are part of me. So when I come to this movie or the general fan comes to this movie, we're coming with preconceived notions. The Jedi are the best. You know, we want to see big bad guys. We want to see the stuff. And I do believe, and no offense to J.J. Abrams, and I talked about this a lot in Casino Royale, and I won't go down the same path, but I think J.J. Abrams set up a lot of things in this first film that he didn't really have an answer for. And when you're doing a trilogy, I think you need to build a trilogy 
as three chapters and you need to know what am I setting up so I can pay it off. And what we get with this trilogy, if I can just step out of this movie for one second, is a bunch of shit thrown at the wall. Then the second one is let's recontextualize this. Let's ground it. Let's make it bigger. Let's make it, let's make it a world in which really anything can happen. And then the third movie is like, actually, let's kind of forget about that one and kind of go back to some ideas and 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 some and and, and other ideas. Like it becomes a real mess. And J.J. Abrams obviously does the bookends here. And I'm 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 bummed about that because you know what you what you get is exactly what you were afraid of in coming into this movie, closing the walls in on this universe a little bit more. And then we get all this easy hatred, like this idea of, well, why did they even have to go to Canto Bite? I hate that note. I hate that thought. And I'll tell you why. Because A, it underscores the theme. What is going on in the world? Oh yeah, people don't care about the resistance and they don't care about the first order. People are making money. They're having a good time. The world is going on. We live in a similar world like that. Not everyone is waiting at, you know, in bated breath by some sort of transponder, right? So it it opens up our world. Secondly, it's a giant part of the plot. The one thing that they need to do is meet this code breaker. Now, do they get there? Are they successful? No, but Star Wars is full of characters doing unsuccessful missions. Like, Rescue the princess, get back to the Millennium Falcon. It doesn't go smoothly. It doesn't go easy. It's like there's so many mistakes made along the way in these movies. And we we focus on this one like, well, they didn't achieve their goal. Well, they, first of all, we see a world. Finn learns about something. Like Finn is learning something here too. Like he's looking at the world in a different way. I think that Rose, you know, is unfairly maligned. Like, well, why is she even going with him? What does she care? Well, her sister just died a hero. She's trying to figure out like how to reconcile with this world. Like what is it? Like she's just not even a name on a plaque. She's just cannon fodder. And so she wants to make a difference. She wants to do something. So who cares if the plan didn't work? It's like saying, well, we. it's like we had a time machine. We saw that they went to Canto Bight. It didn't work. So why did they go there? It's like, well, the journey is thematically they need to go there to learn about this to learn that not all good people are good, not all bad people are bad. And and I love that Benicio del Toro character because of that. Like he is a perfect articulation of this theme of you can't trust everybody. And just because somebody does something that's bad doesn't mean they're bad. And just because somebody does something that's good doesn't mean that you can trust them with everything. I love that. It's a it's a very complex, it's not it's not very Joseph Campbell, but I think that that's what makes it interesting. At least you're stealing from the bad guys. And helping the good. Good guys, bad guys, made up words. Let's see who formally owns this gorgeous hunger. Uh, this guy is an arms dealer. Made his bank selling weapons to the bad guys. Oh. I'm the good. Finn, let me learn you something big. It's all a machine, partner. Live free. Don't join. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the ways to even read the role of of this second film in this trilogy is that I kind of see this film as like the battle for the heart of Finn. Mm -hmm. You know, because when you think about Finn, this is a character who grew up 
brainwashed by a system. You know, being a stormtrooper because you're a stormtrooper, not having a lot of say in the matter. And then coming out of that at the end of The Force Awakens, not so much being like, oh, I want to be like a total hero, good guy. I'm super on the side of the resistance now. But being like, I really like Rey. Whatever Rey is up to, I guess I want to be around Rey. Like he's not into fighting for a cause. He's into getting out of the mess that he was unfairly put into and figuring out who he is in life. And I feel like this movie has DJ, Benicio Del Toro's character on one side, being like, don't worry about it, man. Don't care about anything. You know, none of this matters. You know, Phasma being like, how dare you leave our dark side? And Rose is the character who more than anybody, you know, takes the time to say, this is worth fighting for. Let me show you what the world is really about. Or as she says, when they get to Canto Bight and he's like, whoa, look at all these fancy people. This is a pretty cool way to live. It's like she's taking this unformed brain, you know, because he hasn't had a chance to think for himself and saying, do the looking, do the thinking. Look, this whole place is beautiful. I mean, come on. Why'd you hate it so much? Look closer. My sister and I grew up in a poor mining system. The First Order stripped our ore to finance their military, then shelled us to test their weapons. They took everything we had. And who do you think these people are? There's only one business in the galaxy that'll get you this rich. War. Selling weapons to the First Order. I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy, beautiful town. And it is something we can all relate to. As anyone who has adopted a cause knows, you're motivated by something. It's so easy to stand on the sidelines and critique. We've built a whole society on that. That's, you know, social media in a nutshell. But can you get out there and pick a side and believe in it even when you are losing? And I think this movie wrestles with a couple of things. One, which is... I think this idea to adopt a cause or feel passionate about a cause is something that I definitely relate to. I think it's so easy to stand on the sidelines and critique. We have social media for that. But to actually believe in something and stand by it when everybody else is against it or it's easy to not really go fully on board with it is really hard. It's a hard decision because you are standing by your own belief in something. That means that you are going to not only um, protect this group at all costs that you are a part of or advocate for them, but you also are one voice in a larger pot. It's not all about like, this movie is about slapping heroes. Stop being so stupid. Stop running off and doing your dumb stuff. And you know, Luke experienced that in Empire Strikes Back. Ray experiences that here. Like everyone thinks, just let me handle it. I got it. Everyone is like, I got it. I got it. And what they learn in many respects is if you want to help the cause. I mean, one of the the saddest moments to me is the end of the movie when Rose sees how many people are left in the resistance. And it's like a handful from 400, you know? And it's like, I think that's why she prevents Finn from killing himself because we can't afford to lose anybody else here. There's a part of me that's like, I thought, oh, maybe Finn should die at the end of the, is that his journey? But no, his journey shouldn't be like, well, I have to sacrifice myself. His journey should be like, I need to use what I have to be the best 
at protecting this group that I care for. What you just said really hit me. Because here I was talking about Finn as a character who's been brainwashed into thinking he knows what good is. But watching the movie for the first time, like you, I had that thought of, oh, here's where Finn sacrifices himself. Like, I have also bought into a mindset that, yeah, I like this guy. This is where he dies now, though. You know, like we're, we have been trained, I think, by movies to think of sacrifice, futile, futile deaths as like one of the ultimate great things you can do. And there's something about that that sounds really screwed up when I talk about it. You know, I think that we can be really like culturally myopic when it comes to stuff. And it's fascinating to catch yourself in these ideas you've bought about what the right thing is to do to sacrifice and and to serve the need of the story. And if anything, I think what this film is about is, you know, taking the hero's journey and shifting it into something that we have to be talking about today, like collective action for the collective good. And even hearing you right now talk about things like what it's like to be an ally in the modern era has me thinking about our conflicted ideas in the real world about what heroism looks like or how we've even kind of flattened it to a simple thing. I'm going to use a really um, common example, I guess. When when a tragedy happens or when there's something that needs doing in the public sphere, one of the things people do is like they change their profile pictures. You know, they add like a green tint for the Arab Spring or like, you know, I want to say that I'm standing up for women's rights. So I'm going to post a selfie of me in black and white, you know, and it's like these things we do because we can't think of any other thing to do in the moment. So it's like, you want to show that you believe in a cause, but then it's always the same pattern. Everybody changes their profile picture. And then two days later, everybody's making fun of everybody who changed their profile picture and being like, that was futile. And you get caught in these like lose, lose situations where it's like the action you take, gets mocked for not being enough, but then what is the action you're supposed to take? And it feels like this cycle that just sort of comes down to the point of nobody should try to do anything. And I will say that I never changed my profile just because like, I always think about the moment, like if I had changed my profile for the Arab Spring, which is the first one that I really remember happening, I didn't change it because I thought, is there going to be a moment where I change my profile back? And if I do that, will it be saying I don't care about the Arab Spring anymore? Like, it, I don't know why I get stuck in that in my own well, head. Well, no, I think I think some of it is, this is where I kind of fall on it. Instead of doing something where it's like me posting myself saying like, uh, 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 you know, I'm against this. I try to, I try to raise up someone else's voice who is doing the work. Like that to me feels like the better version of it. Like if I put it in your feed and you accidentally stumble across it because I put it there, follow that person. Cause my thing is going to fail in its depth. You know, it's like, Oh, everyone can post a Martin Luther King quote on, you know, civil rights day or Martin Luther King day, whatever we're calling it now. Um, but the truth is, well, okay, that, that's a quote. Are you doing anything? Are you doing any, you know, I, this idea of it being a day where you might do something in the community or you might spend some time reflecting in that direction, I think is stronger than just the blankness of a quote, a cool picture. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a difference between like 
And it's performative allyship and allyship. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I I try, but I I think it's sort of like there are people out there that do the work. And if you can do anything, it's like let them let them lead. Let them lead. It's okay to not have the answers to it. And I think that that to drive it back to this movie is what Poe realizes with Holdo. Like Holdo's like, I'm not talking to you. You just fucking lost us all these people. I think there's a spy on this ship. Oh, she's cold. She's not cool. Like, no, she's formulating another plan that you're not a part of that's in a much bigger picture of this whole world. And, you know, and and I think that like Poe wants to be like, I got this. I got it. And and truly, it's like she's doing the real work when it comes to the solution. She has a solution. It's a wild solution. Another piece of Star Wars history that people argue over, which I think is so dumb. It's like, well, if they if they could do that all the time, why don't they do it all the time? It's like, because it's the first fucking time. It's like, if they could have, you know, used planes to attack the World Trade Center before 2001, why don't they do it all the time? It's like, no, it, it, sometimes it's the first. It's okay. Like, that's what I get so mad about. Like, well, we didn't know this. You didn't, why wasn't that written about? It's like, because there's some, there is a first time for everything. It's my that's other favorite quote that I made up. <laughs> Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. I think I love that now we're going to focus on Poe because, yeah, Poe is such a great character to dig into. Because honestly, when you look at the film, even from the very beginning moments of it, he's framed as the guy that we really expect to be the hero, right? Like in a traditional right. movie... It's he's our Han Solo. Shot pilot yeah. Han Solo. He's the guy telling the cocky funny jokes right at the beginning. The Republic is no more. Your fleet are rebel scum and war criminals. Tell your precious princess there will be no terms. There will be no surrender. Hi, I'm holding for General Hux. This is Hux. You and your friends are doomed. We will wipe your filth from the galaxy. Okay, I'll hold. Hello? Hello? Yep, I'm still here. Can you, can he hear me? We even have that image, you know, one guy in his little ship facing down this, like, giant destroyer plane, you know, in his single light fighter. And, yeah, that's how we've been trained a hero looks like. This one guy standing out, David and Goliath, blah, 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 blah. And it is, honestly, really refreshing right after that to have not only General Leia, you know, Take him to task. You start an attack, you follow it through. Poke your head out of your cockpit. There, there are things that you cannot solve by jumping in an X-Wing and blowing something up. I need you to learn that. 
and General Leia, that's our voice of authority here. Like, that's our biggest voice of authority, our holdover from the original Star Wars to this moment. General Leia being like, you fucked up. But then to have that scene between him and Holdo, you know, not very long after that, where it's hitting some of the same points, but also with this idea of who are you, Poe, to even think that this is your story? I've got a lot of people on this ship. You're not that important as you think you are. Commander Dameron, with our current fuel consumption, there's a very limited amount of time that we can stay out of range of those Star Destroyers. Very kind of you to make me aware. Let's give me And we need to shake them before we can find a new base, so what's our plan? Our plan, Captain? Not Commander, right? Wasn't it Leia's last official act to demote you for your dreadnought plan? Where we lost our entire bombing fleet? Captain, Commander, you can call me whatever you like. I just want to know what's going on. Of course you do. I understand. I've dealt with plenty of trigger-happy flyboys like you. You're impulsive. Dangerous. And the last thing we need right now. So stick to your post and follow my orders. But I think that that's the idea, in many respects, of virtue signaling. And I think that makes me respect the ending more. Like, I... I did believe that Finn should die, but now I'm realizing, no, he's essentially virtue signaling there. He's like, okay, now I do have a cause and I'm going to kill myself for it. And then I'll save the day. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to just like take it back, hold back. Let's, let's, let's walk it backwards here. You know? And I think that that's the, that's the balance that you like to be in this, the long game, you have to play a slow game. You know, when you look at somebody that fights causes that are unpopular. They don't give up. They take their losses. They take their wins. But everything is kind of modulated. A lot of people that you see that get into these performative allyships are, like you said, it's here today, gone tomorrow, and everything is back to normal, right? And it's the same difference of like in that moment after George Floyd, where it's like, we need to be supporting black businesses. It's like, and then no one's talking about that now on social media because it's not in vogue to talk about it now, right? Like, I hope that, you know, people still do and 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 are active, are that active, but it's like, it's sometimes the longer game is the more productive game. It's like, let's not just win this battle, let's win this war. And I think that's what Star Wars is really showing like this is what the resistance resistance needs to do. It's like a bat. They will. It's not even star winning battle. Right. And it's and the truth is, is like they we they can win battles. They can't win the war if they sacrifice everyone to win a battle. And that now to you've me. Got me yeah. thinking, sorry. <laughs> no, please. Now, now you've got me thinking that when we go to Canto White and we see the co-breaker is supposed to have, you know, Justin Thoreau. And he's standing with that model, his girlfriend, Lily Cole. You know, she's got yeah. like the kind of wide hair. I'm like, I bet that character would change her profile picture for like, Fathier writes, oh, I do love the horses. Be nice <laughs> to horses. Maybe she's a vegetarian. And yet she's a canto bite. And that's just how this goes. It's, it to me, I understand why this movie activates people. Because it subverts a hero's journey that we're used to. But at the same time, it gives you the hero's journey that we want and that we have been trained to love, but just differently. It's like, 
this is maybe a bad example, but if you're used to meatloaf and then you get a hamburger, you're like, well, no, no, I like meatloaf. It's like, well, it's kind of the same thing that you're eating here. It's just slightly different, but the core of it is the same. No, it's not. It's completely different. Oh, yeah? Like, how is it? How is Rose Tico and Lando Calrissian different? We meet Lando. He switches allegiances back and forth. Like, what? Like, it's like, or, you know, it's like we want to look at one thing and be like, that is that is meat with ketchup on it. And it's in a pan. But this meat with ketchup on it and a burger is completely different. It's like, well, the, the core of it is exactly the same. But I think that people just wanted to see. And whenever people see things that they feel like are trying to be too diverse or too woke, I mean, I don't see it that much. You know, the, the only thing that I would give people in this movie, the big complaints, is the humor. Like I, I and I, I think that like humor is something that people avoid at all costs because I think it's sort of like, oh, I don't want to alienate people. But I do believe the humor is very Ryan Johnson. I also believe the humor is something that happens a lot in Star Wars yeah. uh, to, you know, to a terrible extent, Jar Jar Binks. But um, but also but, when Poe is like holding, my mind immediately like goes to like, so they have landlines? Yes. No, I don't like, like I it at all. I thinking too much about the phone technology. I, I do too. Like I, that to me is the only, uh, there might be two things, but that is, it happens so early. And I actually think that as a director or a writer, that probably was the biggest mistake that he made because that one moment could like shock people out of the film it just doesn't feel like the terminology that we're used to in Star Wars. And I get like it breaks attention and it makes him really cocky. It just doesn't work for me. I appreciate it. I think that the actors playing it are doing a great job. That I don't love. I don't love that joke. Do you think Dom Hall Gleason is wearing eyebrow wigs? His eyebrows are just even redder and even thicker. Oh, like by the way, masterful. he's I love him in this movie and he plays a really fun character. I mean, that character is comedic. I mean, it becomes almost comical in, in the third, but... Uh, but actually, yeah, to your point, if the movie had instead started with the very powerful scene where where Paige, where Rose's sister dies, if that was immediately the very first scene, that's one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in a Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Is the scene of, of that woman just kicking and kicking and trying so hard and that little fake out where like you think that the remote fell right past her but then she catches it to open just immediately there with just this death of a woman that you didn't know. She was a brand new character to us. Having that person get ripped away, having you feel about, yeah, cannon fodder like that, you know, is so powerful. I do wonder if it had started there, if people would have been like, wow, wow, right from the beginning. Like it would have set exactly the right tone. I think that that joke took people out of it like, I like that Ryan Johnson treats this movie. This movie has light touches. It's not as depressing as it seems. I think that he also is shaving away at stuff that is cool but doesn't pay off. Look, I love Lost. I am a Lost defender. I love the ending of Lost. I thought it was really perfectly done. I think that J.J. Abrams, who I'm a fan of, also fucked Lost by putting too much stuff in a pilot that... Well, once you explain it, you you want it to be explained, but it doesn't actually figure into the show. It's like, so there are so many of these things that we layered on top of stuff. And all we really needed was this really interesting battle of like Kylo Ren 
and Ray. Like that to me, like I, if I'm Ryan Johnson, I'm looking at the movie. I'm like, ooh, that's our good and bad, our light and dark, our Jedi Sith centerpiece. And then we can have other stories around that. But by adding this character of Snoke, that's like giant and and what what is he? I want to ask you that. My memory of Snoke was that he was giant. And then when I watched this, I was like, oh, he's pretty normal size. I thought he was giant. And then he was well, normal. And I thought I was making that up, that I was having some sort of It's brain the projection spasm. in the first movie. Uh, so in the first movie, he is projected giantly the same way that the emperor is projected in a way that I guess makes him look slightly bigger. I don't know. Again, I don't think it was well thought out. It's like you created this thing, this other monster on a monster. I like, look, if you're saying this movie is a battle of fuck yous between two directors, I I see all of that. Like, you know, literally Snoke being like, take off that helmet. It's stupid. stupid. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And also Snoke, our villain, our villain, talking about bloodlines, like they're the most important thing. The potential of your bloodline. Now, I fear I was mistaken. You have too much of your father's heart in you. Young Solo. I killed Ratsus. I mean, to me, that's like, yeah, you think bloodlines count? Well, the bad guy does. Usually when bad guys are focused on bloodlines, it doesn't work out for everybody else. Who cares? And it's like, why do we need... I know that in the in the mythology of Star Wars, you have like the apprentice and the master. Um, It just feels like a hat on a hat at a certain point because it's like it was so closely following in the footsteps of Darth Vader. It just it started to feel a little weak. And, and I love that Kylo Ren kills him. I love I mean, that fight scene is awesome. I love that fight scene. Oh, that fight scene is beautiful. I mean, this movie is... That is beautifully staged, beautifully shot, be- beautiful emotions, beautiful everything. I get why people say this is the only Star Wars film that is truly, like, beautifully directed because on many levels, it's the voice of a writer and the visualization of that writer as a director. It looks great. It's stylized. You can have all your fucking issues with the iron, the close-up of the iron, but it's a cool shot as much as, you know, and it's like, and that's a fun shot to have in a movie. And we're talking about a movie. Oh, the iron fake out where you think it's a big shit, but it's actually somebody ironing. That's so funny. I love it. And it's also like a close, it's also like a call uh, back or, 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 or a uh, tip of the hat to hardware wars. But yeah. like, you know, it also f- feels just like kind of saying, how do you think people used to do their props practically, man? This is fun. I, and, and, and I do think that there's just something fun about this. Star Wars has always had a lightness to it. Like this idea of like little robots running around going beep, 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 beep. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, so what, what, what why is that like little mouse droid way more important and yeah. strong than it's a mouse it's a fucking mouse droid it's a like and i'm not i love it i love the mouse droid but it's like that's not like higher art it's not like you know but anyway i just think that this movie is everything is well thought out everything is beautifully directed and i think it's really ties in really nicely my only and i think where i was going off on a casino royale this movie does say okay now the stage is actually set 
for an interesting conclusion. Because now anyone can be a hero. Now we are a small unit. How do we unify? How do we build? What's our next step? If we all can be a little bit more enlightened about how to act, how to be, and how to save the day. Because the old way isn't going to work with this kind of unit. And ultimately, the world doesn't care. The world isn't under the fear of the empire like it was back in the day. It may eventually get there, but I love where this movie ends. I think it ends incredibly hopeful. Um, Yeah, the idea that, no, it's not just a school bus worth of resistance fighters, that there is a universe of potential people who will rise up. That little bit of the little kid and the broom, to me, is the biggest swell of hope I have felt in a Star Wars film my entire life was like, oh, we're getting out of this world and we're really going somewhere. And when you say Canto Bite doesn't make sense, it exactly makes sense for that because people were affected by the resistance coming into their living room, into their house. You know, it's like they all saw it. They got jazzed by it. That made a difference to all these people who are servers and servants. It inspires them. And it's the same way that like Biggs, you know, Biggs coming home to Luke, which you don't see in New Hope, but it's alluded to, like inspires Luke. Like there's a bigger thing going on in the world. Like, and that's how you build resistance. And you don't need, and yes, there might be people there that are force sensitive. And I know we've gone over this a million times online, not you and I, but like this idea of like, is no, it No, we have. I've been fighting with you. I've been uh, like, about midichlorians. Star Wars, Rabbi, how dare you? <laughs> but like this idea of like midichlorians was the, George Lucas, the purveyor of all things Star Wars, took the most interesting thing about his creation and made it like a blood disease. You know, it's like it, it, to me, this movie is so much more interesting when you have people who can access the force, people who have it but don't know it, you know, and... And to George Lucas's yeah. credit, I mean, in the very first Star Wars, Luke is just a dude. Yeah. Luke is just a dude. The idea that he's related to somebody doesn't come up until there are sequels. Like, that was a movie, I think, very much in the tone of this. Some guy from some random planet can step up. You know, and it's the sequels that retcon all of this bloodline into it. And by the way, I like, I mean, I do think that the conceit that Luke Skywalker is the son of this evil, you know, person in the galaxy is actually really interesting. Like, I think that that is like, but, you know, what we have done in that sense is then kept that story so small. And what I think Ryan Johnson does here is open it so wide again. Like, well, no, not only am I telling the story that may be the conclusion of this trilogy, but I'm also kicking, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking the boards off the windows to show you that there's all these other directions that we can go, all these more interesting places we can explore. And, and I do think that the success of that has helped. I think these movies have helped like, Mandalorian break free of the Skywalker trilogy and and Andor like I mentioned uh you know I you know Rogue One obviously came out I think in between this mm-hmm. one and the first one but it's like but this is the world that we like we got to get away from just two people because it's bigger than two people too not yeah. everything is just the leader and I think that's why I think killing Snoke is cool as shit cuz like oh yeah 
it, it like just because you kill the big bad doesn't mean it's over. Just because you put Emperor Palpatine down a tunnel doesn't mean that the the day has been saved. And that's what they do in Return of the Jedi. It's like, okay, we dropped him down the shaft. So now everything ends. It's like, well, actually, why? Yeah. Why would it just end? Like it someone just, else would fucking take its place. It did yeah. that. Everyone, everyone does. And then he's that. gonna get resurrected again anyway. And Ugh, also, I don't like I don't that. Re- I don't even want to acknowledge that it's no. fucking yeah. And then to that complaint of like, man, you set up Snoke and then you just kill him. I just want to say, what would you rather be looking at for the rest of this trilogy? A CGI creation that's you know fine, but still looks incredibly CGI. Or would you rather be having the evil be focused on? Adam Driver's incredibly compelling and emotional performance. To me, it's like a no-brainer. Snoke is grumbling, blah, 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 bloodline, bloodline. But then you have, compared to that, this scene between Adam Driver and, and Daisy Ridley when he's like, we're going to talk about the truth of your parents. You know the truth. Say it. Say it. They were nobody. They're filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. The dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakku Desert. You have no place in this story. You come from nothing. You're nothing. But not to me. To me, there's no contest. In the showdown of what makes a better movie, you want your focus only on that guy, not on Snoke walking around giving people orders. Snoke is Yoda as much as Luke is Snoke. It's like in this movie, it's like they are teachers to these students who are, you know, there's that great line that Yoda says, Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness folly failure also yes failure most of all the greatest teacher failure is <laughs> luke we are what they grow beyond that is the true burden of all masters I love that. And that's what we're seeing here is like, yes, Yoda taught Luke for a short period of time. Luke used that knowledge, then defeated the Empire. Snoke had been training Kylo for a long time. He used that. Now he's going to be his own person. And his own person is actually more dangerous because he doesn't want to be under that guise. You're actually seeing two stronger characters. Rey and Kylo are stronger than Luke and Darth Vader. One million percent. Uh case closed, end of story. Like they are thinking for themselves. They're trying to almost team, like Kylo wants to team up to take over everything, you know? And and I think Ray is trying to, you know, thinks she's so powerful that she can kind of pull it the other way. You know, it, it's, it's a very, it gets so muddy when you try to like end, end these other characters too. It's like, how interesting is that ending? If it is, you know, Oh yeah, well, Ray and Luke get away and they're off to fight again. It's like, okay, I guess. You know, Obi-Wan died in the first like, this is the thing. All these things that people are mad at, and I, I guess I can't just be arguing against the people who didn't like this movie, but are all things that we've already seen happen multiple times. And I and the thing I'm most mad about, sorry. <laughs> the thing I'm <laughs> most mad. mad about. But the thing <laughs> I'm most mad about is that 
That line in this movie, when Luke says to Kylo, if you strike me down, I will haunt you forever. We never got to see that. And that to me is the fucking baddest, coolest thing. Like just being tormented by Luke fucking with him is, oh, I love, I, how dare how dare we not get that? And and you know, I read the uh I read the Colin Trevorrow uh script. I liked it a lot. Uh, really? I thought it was re- yeah, I thought it was very good. Um Does and, it do more with this the universe's bigger premise? Yes. A hundred percent. There is a it. lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I'll give it to you. I have I have oh, yeah. that. And there, there there's also a um somebody made a comic book of it, which is great. I I it's not perfect, but I would prefer that movie, like if it just was the first 50 pages, you'd be like, this is already better than anything that they do in that final film. It does a lot of things right. You know, it. this is a game of telephone that people really messed up. And and I think yeah. you're or right. Exquisite in, corpse. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And, I, and I think that people are paying. I think ultimately we rebel against a studio mentality. You know, why do they make all the things I like and why do they make them bad? But then when we don't get them exactly the way that we expect them, why are they giving us not the way we expect it to be? It's like you can't have it both ways. Like we it's like we are trained to like one thing, but we argue about that thing. I don't really like that thing, but I'll go see it. And then when it's different, like, wait a second. It's like, you know, it's like oh, all Marvel movies are the same. Well, here's Eternals. What? No. Fuck that movie. Yeah. And it's not, and not to say that that's like, not to say that that's like a perfect movie, but it's like, well, that was different, right? Didn't you want different? I thought you wanted different. No. Okay. No, you don't want different. You just want, you just want the thing that you like with the things that are, that are purely like just a redo that you see. Cause it's like, I, I wanted to do a show where I'm like, how would you have done it better? Show me how you would have done it better. And I think what you realize when people pitch their ideas, for the most part, is there's no arc or character there. It is the action figure playing. It is just base play. It's like, I want to see Neo fight. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, me too. I love it. But that's not a movie. That's not a story. That's like a video game cutscene. You know, that, that's a video game. And you're like treating the, the dialogue as cutscenes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm empathetic for, you know, Mark Hamill, who was like, oh, I'm coming back. I'm like a super Jedi now. Like he said that, you know, he worked out for 12 months before he started shooting episode seven, before he got to read the script, because he was like, he said, quote, I'm going to have the force oozing out of every orifice of my body. I'll be knocking down at-ats like dominoes without raising an eyebrow. I'm just going to do this little gesture and the ILM guys will have lightning coming out of my fingers. And then he was like, oh, I'm not even in this episode. Okay, well, the next one, the next one, I'll be like really tough. You know, and he was like dieting and lifting weights or whatever. And then again, he's like, oh, I'm just sitting here meditating. God damn it. And I, I get it. Like if I had to diet for 12 months and nobody cared and nobody got to see my abs, I wouldn't be happy. And I can imagine maybe he was even hungry when he was like on the set for the documentary kind of saying, I do not get what Ryan is doing with my character. And I told Brian this. It's no surprise. I said, I just fundamentally disagree with your concept of this character and how you use him. My character always represented hope and optimism. And now here I am, very pessimistic and disillusioned and sort of demoralized. Very understandably wasn't thrilled about some of the choices in the script. 
the big things being the place that Luke's head is at, the fact that he's not the Luke Skywalker that we knew, and frankly, the fact that he dies at the end. I don't think he ever got to the point where he thought, okay, I, I understand why Luke has to go at the end of this. But he was completely devoted to making what I had written the most powerful version it can possibly be on the screen. I want to come out of all that, which is like a different Ryan quote, you know, that he also said. He said, quote, you have to defy wish fulfillment in order to tell a good story, especially to tell a good second act of a story. You know, so like in essence, if you're looking at this as a trilogy, he's making the difficult movie where everybody has to fuck up so that in the third movie they can grow and that can be satisfying. And and they do provide a very fun character arc. And I do think that part of this like the end of Luke stinks because I mean, if you watch the the final Star Wars movie, which I really can't stand, um, you know, it's like Han Solo comes back to Kylo. It's like, oh god, oh. no! And you know and, that last one? They are so mean to C three PO in that last one. Like, I hate oh, so Poe in the last mean. one because he's just like, fuck you, C three PO, the whole time. And you know, C three PO is my favorite character, and if I do have an issue with the Last Jedi. C-3PO is so marginalized. Like, he gets less screen time in The Last Jedi than, like, Rose Tico does in The Force Awakens, which is, like, a hundred seconds, basically. He shows up basically to be like, uh, I don't know about Rebellion. 3PO, where do you think you're going? It would be quite against my programming to be party to a mutiny. Hey! It is not correct protocol. Which, though, to his credit, he's right again. He's like, hey, this is a bad idea, overthrowing somebody who has a plan. C-3PO, always right, never gets any credit. He's a computer. Um, I will say just to go back to that Mark Hamill, Ryan Johnson thing, this just came out about a month ago. Um, Someone tweeted at Mark Hamill, Hi, Mark Hamill. Since it's the fifth anniversary of The Last Jedi release, do you have any anecdotes or memories from making the film that you'd be willing to share? Have you changed your mind about anything after these past five years? Would you have done anything differently? Thank you. So, anecdotes. Not really. Have you changed your mind about anything these past five years? A little. Would you have done anything differently? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Shirtless scene. Shirtless scene for Luke. But I do think that everything that Luke does is just as heroic, just as smart. It also parallels Yoda in a wonderful way, uh, if you want to even look at it from that point of view. Because that's what he should be doing in this. He should be the Yoda. The way that we understand the story, we shouldn't be telling... This is not the continuation of Luke's story. This is the story of Rey and Kylo Ren. You know, and and I do think that he plays this role really, really well. I think that it's a hard thing to basically say, I'm going to show you the dirty cry version of Luke not the badass version of Luke. And I love that opening moment where he tosses the fucking lightsaber. What a, like that's a joke or that's a moment that I'm like is so in character and it's like I'm done with this. I love I love his performance here. I think that he probably is very guilty for those quotes because I think a lot of fans aligned with him like even Mark Hamill didn't like it. It's like well mm-hmm. also Mark Hamill I've worked with Mark. He's awesome he He has been in so many amazing things but it's also like he's not the writer and director of this like i think that he was not done dirty but it's hard to separate yourself from being an actor 
and a writer and director in seeing where this character goes. I also think where he was most undirty was his story could have been continued in a very interesting way, and yet it was not. And that sucks. And so I get that too. It does suck that he's not in the next one, that he's not in the first one of this trilogy, and that he doesn't get to be in the third one, really. That does suck. But I do think what he does get is beautiful. I mean, that this is a character who we really meet in the first film as a kid, standing under, you know, two sons and looking out to the future and being like, what does the universe have for me? And it ends with him, you know, alone again, looking out at the two sons and thinking, I have now seen this world, at least, or he's been places that that kid could have never been. Like, I think that is so poetic of an echo to have. And it makes me feel like an exhale, like you did it. You really did it. So then I guess the question is, you know, I think we're talking about these very big themes, these ideas that are a little bit more elusive in modern popcorn movie fair. Obviously, we've seen how Ryan Johnson has now equally divided people uh, after Glass Onion for different reasons. But, you know, maybe the maybe the answer is, is like, is is there room for art or artistic choices like this in big movies like this? Um, I would hope that there is. I think that whenever it feels like it's artistic, you get slapped down. I, I think that, you know, when I look at um, the first Black Panther movie, I didn't see the second one yet. Um, but when you watch that first Black Panther movie, I think Ryan Coogler is doing similar things, trying to make some big, big points and, and you know, and, and who's good and who's evil, you know, and, but it maybe didn't feel like it was catering in that way. And I don't know why people assume it's catering in a different way. I, I don't know. I think it's hard for a writer director to make something that's completely unique and also deep. Uh, I know that people love this movie. Critics love this movie for the most part, right? It was a pretty highly reviewed film. Oh, yeah. It was 91% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes compared to 52% for Rise of Skywalker. So yeah. very much higher. Audience reviews, of course, uh, flipped. Well, who knows, like right? Yeah. 42% on Rotten Tomatoes for Last Jedi, 86 for Rise of Skywalker. But those were actually really heavily manipulated. Even Rotten Tomatoes denied it. And then we're finally like, no, now that we look at it, it really was just like a couple people really losing their minds. And I'll go back and just say there's a fervent fan base to be mad and also get on there. And and God bless, like everyone can have an opinion. I don't mean that like, I don't want to say anyone's opinion is wrong, but I think a lot of the opinions here are flawed. Well, you don't have to say the opinions are wrong, but Carrie Fisher said this to John Boyega about bad fandom when people are just mad that there was a black stormtrooper at all. She said, Abu who, who fucking cares? Which, yes. And also, can I say that my favorite Stormtrooper casting, though, is that Prince Harry and Prince William played Stormtroopers because I want to think back on, oh, those brothers used to be friends before. I believe William really screwed it up. But also, I think it's kind of perfect that if you're talking about empires and power and money, to have two British princes be the bad guy Stormtroopers. Absolutely. Perfect casting. And by the way, we also have uh, our... James Bond in there too. James Bond's in the suit in this one, I believe. He is in The Force Awakens. Sorry, no, he's not in this one. Okay, great, great, great. But actually, wait, while we're talking about randomness, I have a very important question for you. So they go to Canto Bight because uh, 
Maz Kanata recommends they do it. And they're having that conversation with Maz and she's on the phone and she's like very busy shooting people. And then she's talking about how great this code breaker is. And then she's like, no, he can do everything. He's a master code breaker, an ace pilot, a poet with a blaster. It sounds like this code breaker fellow can do everything. Oh, yes, he can. Paul, my question for you is this. Did Maz hit it? Oh, Maz fucks. Maz fucks, Maz fucks, and that's been set up by J.J. Abrams. Maz fucks. Maz wants Chewbacca. She wants everything. Like, I love Maz. I, that seems so weird, too, because she's, like, having a full-on fight and having a full cover. I, I, but I like that character. I thought that character was a great addition to the world and, and really fun. And, and look, you know, I, I don't want to slam J.J. Abrams' uh so aggressively because I will say that the reason why Ryan Johnson was able to launch into this world was because he did set up a lot of great things. Um, I think he also, it's sort of like, I think what Ryan Johnson did is what like a closet organizer does. Like there's a lot of great things in this closet, but we got too much in there. Let's just pare it down to like what you actually wear and what you need. And I think in many respects, this adversary relationship between the two of them feel like Oh, Ryan fucked JJ's vision. But I think in many respects, it's like Ryan clarified JJ's vision and gave him a roadmap to continue. And I, and I, but I think ego's there, same way like egos come into like what Luke should be or what he should not be, kind of muddies the whole picture. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. All right, Paul, this has been such a good conversation. And you know what? I want to keep talking about movies that made people really, 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 really mad. And I want to talk about Oscars and I want to talk about both of these things all together. Let's talk about an Oscar movie that made people really, really, really mad and still does the one, the only crash from 2005. It's the sense of touch. Any real city you walk, you know, you brush past people, people bump into you. In L.A., nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. How far can bullets go? You thinking about that bullet that came through your window? What's wrong? You all right? I am angry all the time, and I don't know why. Put your hands on top of your head, ma'am. Will you just do what he says? Now, do you have any guns or knives or anything I might get stuck with? Your brother's file. Kid's going away for life for stealing a car. All I need to do to make this disappear is to frame a potentially innocent man. Did you find your brother? Oh. Tell him to come home. Oh, Crash. A movie that I have never seen. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I'm about to crash and pop my crash bubble. Paul, I want to end this episode on really the only appropriate note which is I want to give the very last word here to Mark Hamill, or really to Luke Skywalker, to the last words that we get to hear Luke say. See you around, kid. Well, Amy, until next week, but a big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can 
talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find the Unspooled show and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like screen test on Stitcher Premium and for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show. You can head on over to unspooledpod.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.